1: Where did they come from, these gang leaders? We didn't know the existence of these guys that are now running our lives. All of a sudden they've become like real tycoons of terror. Why should I be concerned with what Barbecue has to say? Who is this guy Barbecue?
0: It's a good question. And the man asking it is 67-year-old Haitian-American Mario de la Torre. Mario lives in Port-au-Prince, the capital of the battered and beleaguered Caribbean nation of Haiti, which is now in the hands of dangerous gangs.
1: It's, it's insane. You should be listening to uh, what your president has to say. You should be listening to what your prime minister has to say, not to what a gang leader has to say.
0: Haitians are living in a deadly power vacuum. The rule of law has all but broken down, and competing gangs who kidnap, kill, and rape at will control 60% of the capital.
2: There have been a string of assassinations.
0: Haitian prime minister, acting president, coming under heavy gunfire.
2: Gangs have also severed access to clean water, food, and other essentials, as Haiti also deals with a deadly cholera outbreak.
0: The United Nations says Haiti is on the edge of an abyss. At a recent summit, Canada was just one of the countries that promised more help.
2: We will continue our efforts to assist all stakeholders in Haiti to ensure a Haitian-owned resolution to the crises.
0: But they stopped short of sending troops. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Haiti, a failed state? When we arranged to speak, Mario suggested that we do it in the morning. He thought it would be quieter, as there's less shooting then.
1: Um, uh, at night, uh, it is, it's usually like a, a concert of bullets flying, and there, there seems to be no shortage of bullets. I'm a Haitian-American filmmaker who's based in au Prince. I'm originally from Haiti. My entire family is from Haiti. But I basically uh, grew up in New York City and I've been back and forth uh, to Haiti basically all of my life. Boy, I must have dropped the anchor here at least four times. So I, I, I know a thing or two about Haiti.
0: He certainly does. Mario's stories of life in Haiti now are incredible, including this one about his friend, the surgeon.
1: He told me that he was operating uh, this patient, and then boom, the the electricity went. must have had a good anesthesiologist because (laughs) he left the patient and went to administration and said, what is this? I'm operating and there's no power. The hospital didn't have fuel, so the, the man had to walk up to his mother's house to fetch a generator to be able to complete the surgery, and that is a true story. A patient woke up and never knew what went on, thanks to my uh, friend, (laughs) the surgeon.
0: (laughs) Life in Haiti is like a game of Russian roulette. And for Mario, you have to laugh at the madness of daily life now. But Haiti is only one part of the island of Hispaniola. And a recent trip to their nearest neighbours on the other side of the island brought the bleak reality
1: into sharp focus. I just, I've just come back from the Dominican Republic, crossed the border, and you see a country on the rise. Uh, things are working. There's security, there's electricity, there's running water. We're in dire need of all of these things. We're in dire need, really, of, of stability is what we need here it's bleak it's very bleak what's shocking is to see the amount of businesses that have been closed no services garbage is littered all over the place it's almost like a stateless place gangs are moving in to the city and just closing up different neighborhoods and disturbing uh the, the private sector the commercial centre. So it's, it's complete mayhem, nothing short of chaos. That's an understatement.
0: <laughs> the chaos in Haiti may be worse now than ever before, but it's not new. To understand how it's descended into mayhem, you really have to delve into Haiti's complicated history.
2: I'm Stephen Gibbs, and I cover Latin America and the Caribbean for The Times and The Sunday Times. There are several concurrent crises going on. There's an ongoing cholera outbreak that has led to the deaths of hundreds of children in recent months. 4.7 million people are suffering from hunger, according to the United Nations. And probably most seriously, gangs have taken over around two-thirds of the territory of Haiti. So it really is... A sort of failed state in many ways, and it is again getting international attention.
0: I think people only ever talk about Haiti at a time of crisis.
1: Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, has been hit by a major earthquake.
2: Deadly tropical storm Elsa now slamming parts of Haiti and the Dominican Republic. The most severe damage from Hurricane Matthew has occurred on the island nation of Haiti.
0: Give us a sense of how this compares to how it's been in the, over the last few years.
2: Well, I was last there 18 months ago. It was notably worse than when I'd previously been there a couple of years before. Despite all the sort of horrors of Haiti, there have always been pockets of the country that have seemed to escape the worst of the crisis. There have always been a, a few people who've seemed to be able to have relatively normal lives there. The sort of chaos, as far as I could see, had spread everywhere.
0: Haiti has had a number of crises recently, but actually its problems go back far beyond that. Give us a sense of Haiti's history and how it's got into the mess it's currently in.
2: In the 18th century, Haiti was a French colony and a a very prosperous one, exporting coffee and cotton back to Europe. But it was a a colony entirely built on slave labour. And in 1804... Haiti shocked the world by becoming the first country to be established as the result of a slave revolution, and at the same time, in fact, the first independent nation in Latin America and the Caribbean. But the euphoria that many Haitians felt then didn't last. There was a conflict that led to the establishment of the Dominican Republic on the east of the island. And probably more seriously, France, the former colonial owner, demanded crippling debt repayments from this new slave republic, the new Republic of Haiti, and those were only finally paid off in the 1940s. It also, in, in the 20th century, has been a part of the US sphere of influence. Uh, it was occupied by the United States from 1915 to 1934. And in the 20th century, it was the seat of this extraordinary dynastic Dictatorship, probably both the most recently stable time of the country, but also a horror story for tens of thousands of people.
1: Papa Doc carelessly terrorizes his countrymen. All Haiti lives under the threat of his tontons, his bagmen, his executioners. To provoke these overarmed bully boys is to invite a beating or death. For
2: each nation- Around sixty thousand people were killed during the rule of Papa Doc and then Baby Doc. A very serious brain drain with thousands of Haitians leaving for exile. The rule of baby Doc is very much still in the living memory of millions.
0: Once the, the rule of baby Doc was finally over, Haiti should have had a relative period of, of democracy, but it's been hit by a number of disasters in recent years. Tell us a bit about what's been happening.
2: And there's been persistent political instability since then. There was a coup to oust the elected leader, Aristide, in 1991. He then returned to power, then he was ousted again in 2004. Haiti's also been hit by appalling natural disasters, most notably an earthquake in 2010. We still don't know precisely how many people died, but it could well have been over 200,000. And it's been exceptionally dependent on aid ever since then. We are breaking news from Haiti, where the country's president is dead this morning, assassinated in what's being described as a middle-of-the-night attack.
0: The most recent time we've all talked about Haiti was back in 2021 when the assassination happened. Just tell us a bit about that.
2: In 2017, Haiti had yet another president, Jovenel Moise. He was elected then. And there was a a moment of hope. He was seen as something of a political outsider entrepreneur, businessman. His sort of tag during his campaigning was that he was the banana man because he was a banana farmer. And one of his pitches was that Haiti should become much less dependent on aid. It should sort of build up its own agriculture. His popularity was pretty short lived. And by 2019, there were complaints that he was ruling out outside the rule of law. There were rumours that a lot of aid that had gone to the country had gone missing. There were large protests on the streets calling for him to stand down. He's very, very stubborn, refused to do so. And then, in an absolutely globally shocking moment in 2021, when he was in his house with his wife and two of his grown-up children, in the middle of that night, the villa, was raided by a group of Colombian mercenaries and Jovenel Moise was killed. Shocking political assassination. And since then, there's been effectively a power vacuum that the gangs in Haiti have absolutely taken advantage of. So there is Ariel Henry, currently the interim prime minister. but He's not elected and none of his political team, none of the government can claim to be democratically elected all their terms have expired so a very very unstable difficult situation
0: just tell us what's happened to the normal institutions the infrastructure of state you know is is there an effective
2: army well Haiti disbanded its army formally in 1995 because that army had been involved in so many coups and was actually linked rather closely to the Papa Doc and Baby Doc Dictatorships. There have been moves to reinstate that army, but it's been very slow progress. The sort of main security force is the police, which is well funded in many ways by the international community, but is still outgunned by these gangs. And I've seen with my own eyes heavily armed Haitian police forces, but I've also seen these stockpiles of weapons that come into the country that don't go to the police, but do to the gangs.
0: And was it always inevitable that it would be like this? Were there opportunities in the past when, you know, things could have been so different for Haiti?
2: I don't think any of this is completely inevitable. The problem really was sown during the Duvalier dictatorships and the aftermath when there wasn't proper sort of continued state building. Overpopulation's been a problem too. All of the problems of the world seem to sometimes have descended on Haiti. Another issue there is deforestation. If you look at Haiti versus its neighbour, uh, the Dominican Republic, I've flown a few times from one to the other. You go over a relatively green, fertile Dominican Republic and then you can just see the border and the mountains of Haiti, beautiful though they are, have largely been deprived of their trees, something that goes back actually to the French colonial times, and... Um, but that means that agriculture is more difficult to support. If there's a tropical storm there, people get killed by flooding, etc., etc. So massive infrastructural problems there. And sadly, when you're there, you can't help thinking, we need to start again here. Of course, that's in reality impossible.
0: Coming up, the filmmaker Mario de Tour tells us how his cleaner became caught up in a kidnap ring. That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Alice Thompson, a columnist and interviewer at The Times. It's the best job in the world. I get to interview the most extraordinary people, comment on the most fascinating news stories, travel to the most bizarre places, and inform, analyse, infuriate and entertain. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash... Violence escalated in July when new battles raged between rival gangs fighting for territory. They use excavators to raise each other's neighborhoods. In broad daylight, gang members kidnap Haitians from their cars for ransom. The violence sweeping across Haiti impinges on every part of life. For Mario, it's even affected his cleaner.
1: So Nana, she's a woman, I would say, in her early 50s. She's a mother of, my God, I guess, uh, six kids. And she sells, you know, vegetables, different produce to the market. I mean, she's a very hardworking woman. She'll take work where it is. And it just so happens that uh, she was lending her services to a kitchen of a very small neighborhood restaurant. And uh, this restaurant is a space which was rented by a couple. It appears that uh, it was a think tank for kidnappings. (laughs) This couple, their real business was not really selling food, they're just uh, snatching people up. I mean, exceeding six kidnappings. I mean, walking distance from where I live. I have to say that the Haitian police In light of the fact that they are so under-equipped and so overwhelmed with the situation, they were on to this couple. And so one day they made a raid and they basically arrested everybody inside of that restaurant. And that's how Nana was picked up. And so I think she spent four days in jail, uh, basically explaining to the police that she knew nothing. But, you know, in Haiti, uh, in light of the fact that the judicial system is dysfunctioning and is virtually non-existent, it usually boils down to a money thing. And so this poor woman's family had to come up with an amount of money to release her, even though she's innocent. I mean, these things like this, unfortunately, have become rather trivial. It's quite normal. In fact, um, I would venture to say that we are now at between... Uh, seven to ten kidnappings a day. They've turned it into a serious business.
0: And Mario, it's, it sounds so chaotic and so dangerous, you know, all these gangs and guns. Do you take sort of safety precautions?
1: I don't have the means to bulletproof my car, and we have seen some spectacular assassinations here with people who had bulletproof vehicles. But to me, that's like pointless. So it's like Russian roulette. You pray for the best when you go out. You know, some of my friends are walking around with guns. I'm not a gun person. But it feels that it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer every day in terms of the amount of people that are being snatched up in the streets. It's almost like in the days of the dictatorship where there's not a Haitian family that did not have a member that didn't perish under the dictatorship. Well, now it's like there's not a Haitian family that has not experienced one member that's been kidnapped where they had to pay for a ransom. It is terrifying.
0: And Mario, these gangs seem to have had an inordinate amount of control over things like fuel in recent times. Tell us a bit about that, in particular about a gangster, is this right, named Barbecue
1: Well, why would anybody want to call himself barbecue if not to scare the wits out of you, right? (laughs) Well, this particular individual at one point used to be a policeman and who has become, I guess, what you might call a renegade policeman and then took over a certain neighborhood. And uh, he is a, a charismatic fellow.
0: It is true that you are going to get through into this oil terminal when we are dead. To the Haitian people, if it's true that we need to live as real human beings and for other nations to respect us, man your barricades.
1: A few months ago, he and his cronies went down to a fuel depot on the front, where the tankers come in and unload the precious uh, fuel and shut that down uh, for two months. just created a very, very complicated situation with hospitals not being able to operate, charity groups not being able to distribute. You know, if you have little fuel, I mean, you, you basically just shut down the whole country.
0: And, and Mario, just talk us through how that would affect normal people and normal life.
1: Uh, A tanker not only brings in fuel, but it also brings in propane gas. So if you don't have propane gas, you can't cook. If you don't have fuel, you can't power your generator. As I speak to you now, I have not had a drop of electricity in a month. I once went uh, nearly eight months without a drop of electricity because the local power company, well, they're basically out of business, which means that every household in Haiti, if you can afford it, as a generator. Of course, now, since the fuel shortage, more and more people are going solar. Every Joe Blow seems to have a solar panel to power his phone, to power his computer, to power your house, have a couple of lights on. Maria, do you think the
0: international community will help. I mean, is that what you think needs to happen? Or would that be resented given, given the past, given the colonialism that Haiti's already suffered?
1: In light of the fact that Haiti has been deconstructed, dismantled, and that the international community is saying, well, there needs to be a Haitian-led solution. Well, that's easier said than done. The brain drain in this country has been going on since the early 60s. A lot of Haitian professionals fled the years of the brutal dictatorship of of Papadoc. You have a country as well where the rate of illiteracy, uh, though it has gotten better, is still very, very high. So I mean, the international community is saying, well, look, uh, we need to find proper people to talk to. Those people are in Canada, they're in the United States, they're in France. They're abroad. They're not here. So there's not much to work with, really. There are no thinking brains left in Haiti.
0: And do you think Haitians would welcome external interference? You know, is, that, is that what they want to happen now?
1: If, if you're being kidnapped, if you're unable to find gas, if you're unable to walk and, and conduct... Your business. If you like jogging and you can't go jogging, you can't do anything. So you're basically a prisoner at home. So you go, well, this has to stop. Uh, Haitians are saying, uh, I think we've had enough. It would be good that a force comes in. But on the other hand, when they look at the UN mission, which lasted 13 years, that was plagued with sexual scandals the corruption and cholera and what have you. Nobody really wants to go through that again. But at some point, realistically, a solid military force from abroad needs to come in and tame this problem.
0: Just to restore order.
1: Exactly, to restore order. People here are in a state of urgency for just about everything. They They needed it, not just yesterday, They needed it the day before, last year.
0: Last week, the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, joined the Caribbean community's heads of government at the 44th CARICOM Summit in the Bahamas. They discussed the situation in Haiti and vowed to assist in developing a plan to restore security and the rule of law. But what does that actually look like? Realistically, what can they offer... And what do the Haitians want? I asked our man in Latin America, Stephen Gibbs.
2: Well, if you ask the acting Prime Minister Ariel Henry what Haiti needs, he will say it needs the deployment of foreign troops. And and plenty of people, both in Haiti and outside, agree with him on that. But that's not going to happen yet. There's reluctance um, from outside the country to commit to a sort of battle really which it might end up being between the foreign troops and the gangs there in Haiti. Jamaica's prime minister I should say has said he would be willing to send soldiers and police officers to Haiti if there was some sort of multinational security assistance and the Bahamas has has also indicated it might send troops or police if asked to do so. But what Haiti and, and the sort of outside world is waiting for is a a country that would agree to lead that mission. Many are looking towards Canada, but uh, no commitment yet from Justin Trudeau. Canada's Trudeau did suggest he would be sending Canadian naval ships be close to Haiti to sort of monitor the situation. I think that means perhaps some intelligence gathering and also looking at the migration situation. Haiti's also saying and international aid agencies are saying they need more money to avoid a disaster both with this ongoing cholera epidemic and also the ongoing problem of hunger there. But more than $13 billion has been pledged to Haiti since the 2010 earthquake, money alone can't solve the problem, particularly when you haven't got the institutions to distribute it. And in fact, you've got some anti-institutions, the gangs who can get hold of that money.
0: Stephen, is it quite difficult for the foreign community in terms of trying to help? Partly because Haiti has such a, a long history of you know, disastrous colonial interventions. Is it resented by Haitians when foreign help does turn up?
2: It's a very good point. The sensitivity of a foreign force going there is difficult for this proud republic. And actually, it's one reason why the US has not put itself up as offering to lead an international force, but asked Canada to do so because of the history of a previous US occupation, particularly in the early 20th century, of Haiti. For all its horrors, Haiti is a very, very proud nation, Um, a very special place, I should say. Anyone who goes there is very sort of affected by the degree of of hope amongst Haitians, certainly for the future, for the next generation.
0: And Stephen, you've talked us through the problems that Haiti's had and, you know, some of the solutions that are being mooted by the international community at the moment. You know, somebody who's, who's followed Haiti for a number of years now, who's covered it, Where do you think it leaves the country and what future do you see?
2: Haiti has to rebuild its institutions. And once those are rebuilt, then, you know, the aid can come in in a a sort of responsible way. There's something in the spirit of Haitians of optimism, particularly for future generations. And one thing I noticed visiting there a few times is... Every morning, you know, despite the the chaos around everyone, everywhere, even inside the worst slums, you'll see, you know, children being prepared to go to school by their destitute parents in beautifully ironed little school uniforms. And that's the sort of sign of hope that people do still believe in education and the chance of preparing their children for a better future. So I don't think it's completely hopeless and helpless. But of all the countries in the world, Haiti really does have these absolutely fundamental problems of a failed state, really, of institutions that don't work, of crime, of a large amount of the population deciding to leave their country. It's not going to be sorted out in the short term or even in the medium term, but uh, I don't think anyone should be ruling out Haiti, which remains a proud nation in many ways.
0: Mario, is it true that some Haitians now are even saying that life used to be better under the dictators, under, under Papa Doc? I know that was one of the reasons your parents fled. And then, you know, his son, Baby Doc, too.
1: Haiti experienced nearly 30 years of a brutal dictatorship. There was a certain order. If there were problems, you knew who to talk to to get things resolved. That is why a number of people now are saying, are sort of yearning for the days of the dictatorship.
0: Mario, just finally, what do you hope for Haiti's future now?
1: You feel frustrated because there's not much that you can do. And you see loved ones, and not just your family members. I mean, the very good, honest, hardworking, decent uh, Haitians who just want to be left in peace. You know, you're yearning for these people, and uh, I'm 67, so I feel that I've had a good life, uh, you know. Uh, you know, if I have to go, I have to go. But when you look at kids that are growing in the midst of, of, of this anarchy, uh, you have to wonder, well, you know, what chance do they have? You need to stop sabotaging uh, Haiti and give it a chance to divide. That's my hope.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manvin Rana, and my guests, documentary filmmaker Mario della Torre and The Times Latin America and Caribbean correspondent Stephen Gibbs. You can find all of Stephen's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producers today were Olivia Case and Marilyn Rust. The executive producer is Kate Ford, And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find us. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?